0: I so sorry. You're working with the the hotel room. I did not come prepared. Same with me. I'm.
1: uh, I just arrived in West Texas. I don't know if you can kind of see. This is my bougie hotel room for now.
0: It's kind of looking like mine. You got like dark headboard. What color is your curtains? Blue.
1: Yeah, blue, uh... blue. I've got my uh, beautiful new bike right here. Uh, That's that's. Oh, lovely. So I I brought props. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Here, am and I I'll, upside I'll, down? I also here? want to say um, I'm upside down because um, yeah. there's a glitch for this computer. So uh, that's no. kind of a theme with me. I'm always kind of the extreme of things. So sorry <laughs> about being upside down. No,
0: I love it. I was like, am I upside down? Am she, are they right side up? Like, what is
1: happening here? <laughs> no, it's just something I forgot the the which computer. I just glitched and uh, forgot that this computer does this, and I haven't quite figured out how to fix it. <laughs> no no worries
0: my work computer which is government so i can't do anything with that except mm-hmm.
1: type some emails
0: so go on the phone route
1: yeah yeah that's <laughs> always the safe safe than sorry absolutely <laughs> absolutely you've got some questions go you're feeling stressed man go on your gps
2: and i dirt something that's blissing and download and listen to tia candy chris and Houston you should go
3: Welcome back for another new episode of the Go Dig a Hole podcast. This is your host, Chris Sims, and this time, Kirsten, Katie, and I talk with Chelsea Reedy, a professional cyclist, CRM archaeologist, and grad student. Chelsea shares some insights on work-life balance, taking care of your health under demanding conditions, and some good tips for making life on the road work for you. As always, check out the links in the show notes for more info. We also thank our past and present supporters on Patreon. We don't do this for any profit, so think of our Patreon as a tip jar to help cover the software and hosting fees to keep a podcast running. You can also help us by sharing our episodes and getting the word out by tagging us on social media. Yeah, so we've got um, Chelsea Reedy here. I guess we'll just jump right into it. Um, So, yeah, Chelsea is a pro cyclist, a CRM archaeologist, and a grad student. And so, Chelsea, do you want to... Just kind of say hi to the listeners, give a a quick intro, let us know kind of where you're at and what you're up to.
1: Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, I appreciate it, and thank you for the invite. Um, As uh, Chris was saying, my name is Chelsea. Uh, I've been in grad school a little bit longer than probably your average grad student, but um, I do wear many hats, and it's been kind of delegating that time to according to all my different goals and ambitions. Um, Last year was my rookie year as a pro cyclist. And I was very fortunate enough to um, travel around the country and push myself to new limits and competing against girls that have Olympian fitness as well as like, um, yeah, it was it was definitely pretty tough. And then trying to juggle the whole work thing and uh, traveling as a CRM archaeologist as we do. So last year was a pretty dense and heavy and just a whole leveling up year. So I feel like this year, um, this year, I'll be graduating from Texas State. I'll be moving up into, you know, the PI roles eventually. So this year is going to be of equal caliber of extremeness.
3: (laughs) (laughs) nice and you also you so you raced this past weekend and you got some podium finishes right
1: i did i did it was the first it was the season opener um aside from the pro team i raced for um i've been lucky enough to race for my school as a student athlete as well so i um we we went down to texas a&m and they hosted a race for us and it's uh the collegiate scene's a little bit different from the domestic scene it's more of like A stage race scenario so you've got your your time trial effort you have a criterium race which i can get into or not but um just different styles of racing and then you have your long road race which is kind of like what you would think of like the tour de france so um really compact stage race and i was able to get third in the series thus far and we're gonna our next race is at baylor and then we have one at unt and then the series finals is at midwestern state and then I'm hoping that I'll have enough points to qualify to go to nationals this year. So hoping to compete and win some, um, stars and stripes to put on my Jersey. Nice. <laughs> That's so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very, um, it's definitely an ambitious goal. There's definitely some hefty competition there, but you know, it's not worth it unless you, uh, you get a little competition, get a little grit out of it. Right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, it was a good time. Um, got, uh, the time trial was a little tough. Um, dealing with some triathletes there. They, uh, they definitely have that long sustained engine. I'm more of a sprinter. So I think with that said, I hit some new, um, some new, like 20 minute power goals there. So uh, I was pretty, pretty happy with that came in third. I pretty much consecutively got third all weekend. I got third in the crit, but I was able to do, they have these things called pre laps within crits, where it's like a race within a race. And I was able to kind of nip the sprint for one of those so and then um for the road race um i'm sure chris you know what bonking is but for the listeners it's basically when (laughs) you don't eat enough and your body just feels like poop and that happened in the middle of the race and unfortunately i lost my my competitive uh oomph there uh but it's okay i rolled in for third and was able to hold on to get second for the series so um me and this girl i feel like me and the girl who's in first place are, are gonna go We're going to go head to head and it's going to be a really great season. And I'm using, even though I have goals for my collegiate, I'm using the collegiate season to train through for my domestic and my pro goals. So all of that is just building towards, you know, arc of fitness. So I'm looking forward to it. My coach Tom is doing a really, really great job. My other coach, Goki, um, she's doing a great job of coaching me along and making sure I'm staying mentally and staying focused and handling all the other life task in order to make cycling and work and everything flow flow well.
3: Yeah. yeah. That sounds like a real challenge to balance. Um so I have I think that's where most of the questions I have for you oh, are around. No, kind of still my
0: question, Chris. The <laughs> <have a> question.
3: <laughs> oh well how about how go about uh, Katie, you go first then, because I've I've got some no. notes.
0: <laughs> well, my main question was how do you balance CRM work and training for cycling? Mm. Cause that's the biggest thing that I'm in my head of like, wow, I've done CRM but I've never like trained for something at the same time.
1: Absolutely. So that's my biggest question. It's, um, it's tricky. Um, I kind of, and everybody kind of has their balance. I mean, I look at it no different than, you know, mothers or, you know, fathers that are, you know, having to do the same thing. Um, I haven't been fortunate enough to have kids or I don't even know if I really, well, you know what, that's a different topic. We'll get into that. (laughs) You know, if it happens, great. As of right now, I do not have any, and I'm able to kind of put that energy into other things such as cycling. And, um, yeah, so it, that kind of helps. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. It's definitely a lot of to do lists, a lot of managing my time, as well as the stress that comes along with both CRM, as well as the stress that you put on your body. And I think through cycling and learning how to manage both a career, a student life in and a, and a pro athlete life is um, is through de- self-development. And it really kind of makes me better as a person, you know, in just trying to level up on all accords. Um, but with that said, I kind of learned that I, I kind of have this uh, burner uh, metaphor. I've learned that I can kind of have two. Like, say, if you got a, a standard stove stovetop, right, four burners. Um, I've learned that I can have one on high, like boiling. Like cycling's kind of always around like boiling. You know, on high to medium range. Like that cycling never really leaves my life. Um, it's a t- three hundred. You know, it's a twenty-four hour, three hundred sixty-day a year hobby. Um, With that said, you know, as school gets intensified and as work gets intensified, those kind of flutter between how much energy I'm putting into it from like a medium to a high and then like bills and like household stuff and all that kind of stuff kind of gets on simmer. Right. So it's just learning how to, you know, just like as you're cooking, Learning how to where you need to pay your attention, you know, oh, you may need to put a little bit more energy into this right now, but maybe next week you can, you know, step off the bike a little bit and put a little bit more into work. There are times where I'm not able to bring my bike um, to to uh, to training or I or, mean, you know, sorry, sorry, field to field work. And I just kind of have to make it do. And sometimes I use the hotel gyms or, you know, doing a little training or stretching or maybe it's a good time to recover if I'm working like 12 to 15 hour days it might not be the smartest for me to try to um, put in those hours on the bike. So it's just learning those things over the years. Um, Luckily, I've been doing it for a little bit, but it's definitely still not easy. I will tell you that it's a constant. It's kind of like meditating. You're not you don't do meditating. You practice it. So you're constantly readjusting and adapting. And just like CRM, every job's different in, you know, every way to. Yeah, it's just different every time.
3: That's a really great outlook on that. And I had not considered that perspective. Uh, That's really going to stick with me. Oh, awesome.
0: Yeah. Cool. I love the burner thing. I didn't think of that either.
1: Well, you know, maybe, maybe I can get good enough where I can have like a six burner stove, but right now (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) right now I'm tapped out at four. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, burners. it is, it is. Well, like what I'm hoping to do is like, After you know, once the graduate graduate school is kind of you know, I've moved past that. That frees up a burner where I can kind of open up to new things where I kind of want to go. And I've got some ambitions where I want to go with um, my so-called like social media name as like the cycling archaeologist. I want to turn that into a little bit more. And I'm I'm sure we can get into that here in a minute. But um, yeah, it'll open up some some room for some more ambitious goals.
3: Yeah. Um, So I guess to piggyback on what. Katie asked is, um, so it's a, it's a struggle to find training time on the road. Is it a struggle to manage your nutrition on the road? Like you mentioned that you mm. bonked in a race. Uh, I have not yet raced. I'm, I'm training for my first ever race and congratulations. I bonk all the time. So like mm-hmm. nutrition on the bike is hard enough without having to race. Um, and nutrition in the field is difficult enough to manage as it is. Mm-hmm. How do you fi- How do you figure that out? Do you have any tips to like not eat garbage while you're on the road?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, sometimes that garbage does fuel you in the right way. Right. You know, like I am a big fan of gummy bears, Um, Mm. but it really, it, that also has been a process. Like I've learned that certain electrolyte drinks work better for me than others. And honestly, like I treat field work a lot, like how I do on the bike. Like we're constantly carrying our, our weight around not only our weight but extra weight right like we've got Mm -hmm. the screens we've got the shovels you got your water for the day your snacks for the day you know all the paperwork the the trimble or the collector or whatever you're using these days um you know cameras if, if, if you're not you know don't have that condensed in some form um so it's like okay so i look at it like a training load so it's like I know that um, I'm burning X amount of calories, so I'm gonna need to bring that in. Um, I try to have, um, yeah, I treat it like I do with the training, where it's like I may have some rice in the morning. I may like, I try not to eat so much. Like I'll stop and snack, but um, I'll do pretty a heavy protein in the morning, um, be it if it's plant protein or you know meat, um, just so that kind of stays with me. And then mm-hmm. I try to munch on some carbs throughout the day. Make sure I'm drinking my electrolytes. Um, for lunch, depends on like if I'm trying to dial down my weight or not. Um, If I'm really trying to be concise with my weight and like trying to get down to, well, let me interject here and go on a digression Uh, with cycling. It's about power to weight ratio. Right. Mm. And especially with where I'm at, at the level where I'm competing against girls in the Olympics, um, every every gram of weight counts. Um, We're finally moving into this thing in cycling where weight doesn't matter so much. You know, we're not it's not about. It's just about being efficient. So it's like it's not dropping down to the weight as well as can you hold your power at a, at that sweet spot where. Anyways, yeah, it's it's like the weight, the power to weight ratio. You want your power, but you want enough weight. You're low enough weight so you don't um, affect your power in a negative sense. So, um, so I'll, it depends on if I'm trying to cut down or not. So I'll to do if I'm trying to cut down, I'll do a little bit more protein than I would normally, and that could be you know. Um, I know some. This is kind of a bad forepaw. Sometimes you know tuna or something like that. Some people don't uh, don't like tuna out in the field, but you know. You know. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I'll laughs> <need> some tuna. <laughs> okay, good. I, uh, I ride
3: gravel with uh, a group of like a, a dozen other people, and mm-hmm. um, a couple of the other people will bring like uh, tinned sardines. Yeah, stuff it's great in the protein. Field. Yeah, and so I'm a big fan of. A stinky canned fish, and sure, uh, it's just it's funny because it's it's one of those things, like, like you said, it's a faux pas in the field because people mm-hmm. are like, Ew, it smells bad, and it's like, Yeah, yeah. but and it's- then you
1: got carried around all day, and it like,
3: oh, yeah, it's like, and Yeah, it smells bad, stinky. but it's really yes. good for you.
2: That can depend on it is. it is delicious, and there are definitely cruised where people kind of feel each other out to be like, mm-hmm. Okay. Is this is this (laughs) This is is good how do you do your fish do you do any and sometimes I'll get on a crew that is like you know what what brand do you have to do absolutely so
1: yeah I'll do the tuna and I'll like maybe even and I'll switch it up like you know and I do a lot of trail mix too like Mm-hmm. And it just depends on if it's hot. Like if it's really hot, I really don't like to get the meat sweats out in the field. So oh, I, yeah. tend avoid, yeah. <laughs> I tend to avoid <laughs> meat uh, and save that for either breakfast or, or lunch. So I kind of adapt as the weather, um, you know, and how much, you know, if I'm training a lot, like I'll train a lot more in the in the winter months. Um, because that's when you get those long hour, those long endurance hours. So I'm burning a lot more calories uh, doing that low end endurance as you were just hiking around with your backpack. So mm. you're doubling the amount of calories you're burning. Now, once I get into race season, I'm start working on perfecting kind of like the speed and my heart and my lungs and stuff like that. I'm not really doing like two or three hour workouts on top of like working a 10 hour day or something. So um, although the workouts are a little bit more intense, intense, I don't necessarily need to compensate so much for the calories on that. Um, but yeah, I do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, PB and J is not bad. I'm just burned out on it. Um, so you know those those kind I of things. I am too.
3: I feel you. Yeah, you know <laughs> I'm so I mean, bored I guess- of PB and J.
1: Yes. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's just quick and easy. You know, you got to stop at the gas, you know, whatever, you know, quick, you know, rural town, getting some snacks if you don't, you know, get a chance to go from a bigger town to get your groceries. So it really yeah. comes down, I guess, in a sense, like I meal prep, but not maybe in the sense that what you would think, like I don't, you know, come with my packages of, of of um, you know, like my meats cooked. And sometimes I do, but it's really just making sure that I'm I'm covering what I'm burning as I go through the field and then making sure that I'm not bonked before I even hit the bike at the end of the day or before or vice versa, you know, like do my workout really hard and then I can't be efficient at my job because well, that's not cool, man. You know? (laughs) Right.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I hadn't considered that, that you have to pull your weight in so many aspects as like an athlete and an archeologist.
1: It's, um, yeah, it can be daunting at times, but the best thing to do is just keep on rolling. You know, just keep doing the best you can. Um, we're all going to slip up, regardless of how how full your plate is or not. You know, we're all out here learning and growing and um, challenging ourselves. And if you're if you're not slipping up every now and again, or you know, stumbling as you're learning, then are you really learning? You know, so uh, yeah, you know, there's there's room for error, and um, but. It yeah, it can be strenuous, and I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, but I like it. I feel like I do well being really busy. I've I'm really ADHD. I was just having this conversation with my coworker. We came out here together. Um, I'm also in the, getting ready for the field, and uh, we have we got field work starting tomorrow, so I'm in the hotel. Um, but so we were traveling out here, and we were t- kind of talking about that, and um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's you just got to keep yourself in check, right? Like you got to know what you can accomplish and not over deliver and be honest with your employers on what you can't, you know, and be honest with yourself, being honest with your professors and your team being, you know, maybe you can't do all 10 races, but you're going to give it, you're going to give it hell these races, you know, and that's because, and my team's been really great about, you know, working with me. We're all kind of in the collegiate scene and trying to go after goals outside of cycling as well. So yeah, just being honest in communication, you can't go wrong with communication, no matter what relationship you're in. So just, yeah, if you're tapped out, let people know burnout's real and (laughs) it happens, you know, when you're stretched thin, you've got to find ways to keep the passion and, um, stay focused without, without losing that motivation and that, that love for, for everything we do, you know?
2: Yeah. You touched on this a little bit, but how do you think field work um weather survey or excavation <laughs> teenagers <laughs> in the next room having some challenges with a, a lid. Oh no.
3: <laughs> it's On it's his life.
2: <laughs> yeah. Righty tighty, Lefty Lucy. <laughs> um how do you feel uh field being an, a pro athlete versus having like a regular desk job and that can kind of speak a little bit to i'm sure you are very well familiar with the contrast between being a student yes sitting at a desk all day and then being in the field
1: man that is a really good question um i think i you know i've thought about this a lot and i for one i think i had the leg up on people like who are just coming into their rookie season who have never really traveled with with people in the sense that we sometimes do with crews, and are like, you know, we wake up at we. I mean, although sometimes we're really fortunate to be with companies that they allow us to have our own hotel rooms. I've worked with other hotel companies, with other with other uh, CRM companies that it's not so fortunate. I've heard horror stories of that, right? Um, but not, even if you have your own hotel room, um, you know, you're you're constantly in each other's faces, you know, and it's learning how to be a people person and navigate those different personalities. And when you're in the field and you're hot and sweaty, you know, tempers can raise, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I feel like field work has complemented me in the sense that, you know, those same stresses are applied to cycling. And when you're working as teammates, you know, those same frustrations can come up and navigating, you know, all those different, um, you know, personalities and struggles that uh, that field work, you know, provides. I feel like that has trained me very well to be able to adapt, to be able to travel with a team and work together as a team. So I'd say teamwork. That's um, FieldWorks taught me a lot about teamwork. That's a good one. And then what was the second part of your question, if you don't mind me asking again?
2: Um, It was somewhat, some of it was uh, just a contrast between um, like being, how being in, doing field work versus being a student Uh, yes desk work how that affects like and you kind of spoke a little bit to that but
1: well I would say all my different uh hobby you know because I mean I call it a hobby even archaeology because like I'm passionate about it right um so even though yeah even though it's a career it's still a hobby in a sense to me so (laughs) um so you know between all of these different ambitions and hobbies that I have um it's uh, it's they don't like each other very much. Like you know, the scholar, the um, the academic world is very tough. It's very strenuous. They're trying to you know they're trying to express you, where they're trying to just squeeze everything out of you, see how much you can take. And you know, cycling and just any kind of sports in in training in general doesn't matter if you're just you know just training for your own well being. Um, you know, you're pushing yourself and all that and and everything. And then even with riding, like I'm not. I'm not the, the, the most gifted writer. Um, so it just, and that takes time. So I feel like I'm constantly in in a lot of ways, I do feel like I'm being pulled in all these different directions because they're all requiring different skills and, um, different tasks. And that kind of floats back to what we were talking about earlier, but, um, sometimes they merge together and sometimes they don't, but they definitely don't like each other. And, um, that's kind of a big difference is, yeah, it's, it takes skills to sit and write being an ADHD person as well as dyslexic. And it takes like sometimes that time trial ability where it's like, I need to sit within myself and sit down and get this done and just, you know, pace myself on these things. Um, especially with writing. Um, yeah, my worlds don't like each other, but hopefully we're going to thin that out soon with the graduation. (laughs) (laughs) One less thing on the burner. Yes. Yes. One less thing. Although, you know, um, I'm always going to keep There's just always going to be a burner there, right? Like, so I'm going to be constantly, um doing something, but hopefully it'll just, will be, um, a little bit more something I can design versus, you know, following, you know, doing, doing the grad school thing, you know, it's, it's pretty standard and structured and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I've got some ideas on where I want to go with all the different career avenues that I want to do.
3: Yeah. So earlier you had mentioned, um, kind of looking at uh, like a a PI direction is, is that kind of the kind of um, the immediate goal that you're looking for moving out of grad school?
1: I think, I think so. I've really enjoyed learning about budgeting and, um, and learning how, you know, I've, I knew that the long-term goal was to be a PI and to run, uh, run crews and, and do proposals and, you know, chase work in that fashion. And so I took it upon myself a couple of years ago to really be serious about my own financials, because how can I be trusted to take care of a company's finances and clients' finances if I can't even manage my own? So I've been practicing that a little bit. I'm definitely not perfect yet, but we're getting better. And um, so that's definitely something I'm interested to that the PI role involves. Um, also, last year, I was very fortunate to be able to take part in the California wildfire cleanup efforts. Mm. I was kind of the logistic manager for, um, or the, I wouldn't say a project manager. Cause I don't quite have the, the, uh, the degree to kind of hold that title yet, but I was in a management role, um, as far as linguistics and managing crews that to take care of like the whole Southern branch of the, of, um, the California cleanup efforts. So I was like, I was covering Mono, um, Larry, Malera, Ma- Madeira, Malera, and then uh, the Los Angeles, like that 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 fire down there, and um, yeah, that was um, that was in, that was fun to kind of do those logistics and like keep track of things versus like, you know, going to dig a hole. Um, so that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I really kind of and I. I, I think that, um, I think I would like to be a leader in that sense. You know, I like to be the cheerleader for my crews. I love crew chiefing and sometimes I can be a little too pep talky and, uh, you know, go, go team go. But I do like being a leader. I do like, um, I do like running things. And I think that a PI would kind of, I think I have the characteristics to kind of fit that role pretty well. So I'd like to do that, be an RA, you know, be more involved in SAA or, you know, all the other different, um. Uh, societies that we have, and and be a lot more active on social media too. I kind of have uh, um, same ambitions there as well, um, as far as like where I want to go and being a public speaker in a sense for archaeology, anthropology, and indigenous concerns.
3: Nice, yeah, yeah. If if you're comfortable talking about it, what are some of your goals on the the social media? front oh
1: man so i i definitely want to ride out um the pro cycle the pro cycling scene see if i can stay on that team but there's this whole as you know the whole gravel gravel scene and the privateering is becoming a thing right like it's it's yeah. a thing so a little digression here when you're on a pro team you know you've got maybe 12 riders so you approach a sponsor you're like we want to do this these are our goals this is how we think that we can impact the community and what, what are our morals as a team would you like to partner with us so mm. and you're like but this would cover in order for us to you know make this partnership you know we've got 12 people that you would cover that comes out to like x amount of of dollars right so with the privateering and the why the, the reason why that's taking off is because with with the introduction of social media Um, Like back in the old school days with like, you know, I'm going to throw Lance Armstrong out there because that's probably what your listeners can maybe identify with, you know. Um, So, you know, there was just newspapers and TV, you know, there really wasn't this way of self-advertising and with the social media and everything you're, you know, you're able to do that. You're able to do, you're able to be a whole team with one social media account and advertise. And it just takes a little bit of cleverness, a little bit of research and, and you know on marketing and strategy and everything like that and just being able to provide you know just like in archaeology with crm being provide you know content and um usable stuff or usable advertisement for your clients or your sponsors so i think eventually if i um if i'll do the crit thing and maybe go on and start doing privateering after i retire from that and i kind of have this idea of like coming up with my sponsorship package saying okay these are the races that i personally want to uh want to do this is how much it's going to ta- cost me to travel this is how much it's going to cost me to train and um, but aside from that um Anything access to that? If I reach my goal, anything towards that, I want to give to a charity. And let's say, like, I name that charity, let's say, like, the COVID Native uh, Indigenous Relief Fund, or something like that. Or maybe um, I work re- I work on, um, I work with the Navajo Reservation on uh, mapping uranium mines. So maybe like, you know, something along those lines. Some, you know, anthropological incense where I can be like okay, at the end of the year, you know, pretty much open donation style, right? As I'm racing, take on donations. And then at the end of the year, anything access that I didn't use for racing, give to that. And I can do like a whole kit designed and, you know, the design of the the charity that I'm going for that year. So I kind of want to do that and like tie into, you know, a little bit more active on the social media and the marketing. But I've always kind of had this other idea of doing like a YouTube podcast video kind of a thing where it's like, I bring on other archaeologists and scientists and anthropologists that also ride bikes and we can, you know, go out and say like, um, and just kind of talk about the pretty much doing a background section of that area that we can go ride, you know, let's say like, you know, bear's ear or something like that, where we can talk about a little bit about bikes and like we can get, you know, test different bikes, but also talk about like the birds in the area or, you know, the archaeology or the geology and just bring on different specialists of that nature. So that's definitely something that I would like to work towards uh, as a long term long term goal after graduation and just try to bring merge, you know, become the cycling archaeologist, you know, like yeah. merge them together.
3: <laughs> oh that's man. Awesome. I'm geeking out so hard right now.
1: Do the this. Style, do all like, of these <laughs> things. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to be my first guest when I get this together. <laughs> yeah. Y'all can all come out. It's going to be a blast. Uh, yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. I think that would be really cool. And maybe we can collaborate on that. That would be um, that would be really nifty.
3: I would be honored. That that sounds like so much fun.
1: Right? That's what I was thinking. See, I knew I liked you. It's got to be, <laughs> be the support. Yeah
0: yes just like You can be the our sag. Like as yes.
1: There you go. You yeah. can you can be our sag where you can like come interview us while we're riding and like interviewing the other yeah. people or like we can just stop and talk and have a little like bike picnic area. it would be great. It'll be a good fight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. Well, actually I have a question like i'm not a huge cyclist My sure. i've tried bicycling a couple times um chris has witnessed some of my skills <laughs> a little bit
1: no uh, worries. but
0: do, do you have any advice for anyone wanting to get into cycling or like what are some good steps to kind of dip the toes absolutely as, a, as an archaeologist working full-time and then trying to get into something new
1: well i would say that um you know reach out to your local bike shops they're going to be able to have you know beginner groups or anybody that's like, Oh, you know what? I got the perfect person for you to, for me to introduce, to help, like maybe help you get uh, the correct bike for your site, you know, because that's, you know, if you're not comfortable on the bike, you're not going to enjoy the bike ride. And um, so that's one thing, but also the road can be daunting. Um, So a lot of people like to maybe start out a little bit on trails. Now it doesn't have to be a super intense mountain bike trail. You can, you know, cruise around that's um, buzzing around cars. If you're not used to it can be very, very intense intimidating. So I try to not introduce people cycling on the road, just um, especially like even on a busy road or anything like that, just um, especially with people being distracted. And this is my pitch to don't text and drive people. Um, I've had a lot of friends be very seriously hurt and very seriously injured by distracted drivers. And um, so anyways, that's my little spiel there. Um, But yeah, I would say um, get in touch with your bike, your local bike shop. They're going to help you connect. Um, a lot of Facebook groups will have like, you know, like San Marcos and F- cycling friends or Austin or um, Oregon has like uh, so many I'm sure like little groups to start out um, mm-hmm. all that kind of I think that would be a good place to start and if you know a cyclist touch base with them as well. Um, See like, hey, do you, if I'm interested in this, you know, and also like if you go down and you're vacationing like Sedona or somewhere beautiful that's like known for its cycling, a lot of bike shops do rent, you know, they rent bikes and they'll tell you the easiest trails to try where you can still go and explore and you may not have like, you don't need like super experience or, you know, expert experience where you need to know like all the way what you're doing. Just enough, you may always wear a helmet. I will say that. And always carry some water on you just so, you know, accidents do happen, you know. So uh, you want to make sure that you have some water, get your hydration and um, don't get lost. That's my that's my tip. <laughs> Stay somewhere, you know, <laughs> to Get go with somebody, you know, maybe find a little a friend mentor to help eat, dip your toes into the water as well. But um, otherwise, I learned a lot on YouTube. Um, I learned a lot about you on about cycling, even when I first started at, at the University of Oklahoma, I started through collegiate cycling. Um, I GNC, the global cycling network, man, I learned 90% of my cycling, basic cycling skills off of their little, like how to stuff. Um, oh, wow. yeah, so, but bikes are fun. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think racing is for everybody, nor should it be for everybody, but bikes are a beautiful way to see the world. And um, yeah, just go out and pedal, feel the breeze in your hair. It's, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I concur with the global cycling network, YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, they have everything from how do you stop your, your feet and hands from getting too cold in the winter to mm-hmm. like rain gear to, uh, riding with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nutrition.
2: Yeah.
1: They've um, got it
3: all. Yeah, it's awesome. And then there's also a Taking podcast yes.
2: <laughs> based here in
3: Portland, uh, the Sprocket podcast. Oh, um, nice. They have, I forget how many episodes they're up to now. I feel like it's way above 500 episodes, but um, <clears throat> they they have a, a ton of episodes about like, um, you know, like how do you ride in the rain in Portland or, you know, like how do you be a bike commuter and get, mm-hmm, yes, you know, like find out like, how you even like figure out your commuter route from home to work, um, stuff like that. And kind of like one of the, oddly, like one of the things that I really took for granted is um, a handlebar mount for your phone. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. Just having that makes such a difference being able to like have Google maps, like pulled up for like cycling directions. Mm -hmm. It's like something that you can just see right in front of you uh really makes a difference for like how safe you feel on the road and how confident you are with your directions moving yeah that's around. a good
1: point looking up bike trails and stuff like that like you know bigger cities tend to have they're becoming more and more bike friendly because as populations in cities are growing it's just the most efficient thing right um you know and you know we're seeing that trend you know we're also seeing a lot of the scooters but you know it, it's just efficiency. Um, too, you know, too many cars on the road. It congests everything up. So, I think bikes are very much and very important for the future as we do grow and our cities expand. So, I'm glad to start, you know, seeing more and more cities invest in their their cycling communities, and and then it just makes the city healthier. You know, you when you see, even if you're not like an avid like cyclist, like you just feel good seeing somebody just out there vibing. Hopefully, I mean, <laughs> we definitely have a lot of cycling <laughs> cycling haters out there. So that is yeah. what it is, but they're just <sighs> Just hating on the good stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> Portland has been
2: um, like I commuted for years um, on my oh, bike nice. um, pre pre infant and um, in pre grad school, actually.
1: Sure, sure. Um,
2: but that was something that I was really encouraged by because the city makes a lot of effort to create a bike friendly commuter experience, Um, the neighborhood I live in, they have certain streets that are um, bike thoroughfares, so Mm. they have, like, speed humps every block or so, and then every 10 blocks or 15 blocks, they make it so that that street, you can't drive a car through, like, you can drive a bike through. That's Um, great. So there's a lot of things like that, and there's a certain bridge that I used to ride over that would have, like, counter for cycling when i had drive uh ride over at like by 8 30 in the morning mm-hmm. um i'd always hit about the 2300th by city um into downtown so you know this was several years ago probably 2015 um when i was still cycling daily uh to work downtown but um that i think with the pandemic things of like
1: <laughs> people aren't as as out as often yeah yeah man the the uh the pandemic i mean it it shook the cycling community to its core in the best of ways like people just went out and got them some bikes and it just shut down i mean yes the supply issue was it was an issue but that's because people were buying i mean like it was like the rate like i think i saw a study somewhere like the increase of people buying bikes and getting active and even even like just going on hikes was like crazy insane like it was um it's so good like in a weird way like that was like kind of like the one good thing about the pandemic right like people kind of got to touch base with that kind of thing you know so um no hey bravo for commuting yay you you get you get bonus points that's awesome (laughs) yes that's awesome yeah commuting uh, i would say yeah that was a good point like look up into your bike paths you know get in touch a lot of major cities will tell you and then if you go on strava um you can do the there's this option for you to look up heat maps Mm. of not just yourself but you can see kind of if you see like where people travel a lot, you're like, okay, at least the cars are probably used to cyclists being there because it's like, you know, you can, you can, it makes it apparent that, you know, a lot of cyclists use that road. So using little tools like that, but it definitely, if you don't know any better, I would say reach out to your cyclist friend um, or, you know, just, uh, you know, the Google box is always good too, but Strava, GNC, you know, in touching base with your local community would be a great place to start if you're looking to get into cycling. And commuting is... I'm a big fan of commuting, so definitely do it, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you commute to school, right, Chelsea? I do, but I noticed that you were commuting to field work, and I was really impressed with that. <laughs> I was like, "Yes, that's my boy."
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, I have,
1: "Yes."
3: I have a track record of taking bikes for field projects. Uh, yes. Yeah, whether it's like taking it to the job site, I had. Um, a project with the, uh, metropolitan sewer district in Louisville, mm-hmm. Kentucky when I lived there, uh, and it was, it was like a long lasting project, but, um, I would, I had like a little cargo rack on the back mm-hmm. of my little, like Fuji absolute, like commuter hybrid bike. And, uh, I would just throw my dig kit onto the back, strap it on with bungee cords and just ride with like my high
1: vis vest. Yes, (laughs) dude. I saw your story, your Instagram story the other day. I was like, man, dude, like he's taking it to the next level. Like, I feel like I need to step up my game. Like I was talking to my coworker. I was like, I'm going to have y'all drive to this and I'm going to meet y'all out there. Like, that's the move. I was like, man, I got to step up my grit.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I told the crew, I was like, I'm hungry for miles. I need
1: miles. I love it. I love it. That's um that's the move right there. Yeah. I like that very much. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And then after work I was like also hungry for miles and um also hungry for elevation. And so, and I then was you like, were
1: really just hungry, hungry after all of that. Yeah, yes. <laughs>
3: and then I was dying. I was yes. like, I need to eat. And, and then that's it goes called full circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it goes like full circle to like nutrition. And so it was yeah. like everything in, in that coast town that I was in was like deep fried seafood and only deep fried <laughs> seafood. <laughs>
1: like, let me just, uh, let me just sweat out all this oil really fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: And so I was like, yeah, this is great for like two or three days. And then like by day oh, yeah. nine, I'm just like, my body is so unhappy with me. Oh, yes. I need to eat a fresh vegetable now. Well,
1: and that, you know, going back to that nutrition thing, like I always bring a V8 with me. So mm. like I'll tend to do like for breakfast if um, I, I tend to avoid the hotel breakfast because I like to keep my food a little bit more controlled than that, yeah. but um, I'll do like oatmeal or protein shake um, or something along those lines, um or sometimes I'll wake up early, find a Denny's and get me, get me some real eggs or something like that. Um, uh, and then I'll do like, I'll do a V8 because that has good sodium and helps me from cramping. And, you know, we're sweating, we're digging, like kind of replenish some of those and try to get as many vegetables as we can, um, in the field as well. So, um, I'll probably, you know what, I'll send you my, I'll send you a picture of my little, like uh field snack kit and i'll send it i'll send it y'all's way or something like this but um and then in the dinner i probably i probably go a little hard but yeah v8s i'm a big fan of v8s to try to get those vegetables in because it's really hard on the roll on the road and when you're working in rural towns um it makes it 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 can be difficult sometimes like sometimes even the grocery stores don't even have a lot or something along those lines you know i've worked in towns that there was literally only five buildings in, you know, and we were staying there. And um, so it comes down to planning. And luckily I've had a lot of, a lot of education in the years. I think this is like my ninth year cycling now. So um, it's kind of one of those things that you've done it so long. You're like, how did I start doing this again? But I'm sure (laughs) I'll come up. I'm just, I'll randomly think of like things as we we keep going on. But yeah, I'm a big fan of V8. Um, If you don't like tomato juice, you know, You'd find some way other way to get your vegetables in but you know keep those vegetables in. you don't want to just uh, just a meat or or you know our dairy diet or you know fried foods or whatever keep it keep it spicy <laughs> or not nice. so that was
0: my my sign for the squeezable pouches. I' yes. do those, like it's like baby food basically and it mm-hmm. has all the veggies and just yes yeah yeah that's the that's move. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah. Baby food's great. it's calorie dense. it's got tons of nutrients.
1: Yeah it fits in your cycling Jersey. It's exactly. great. <laughs> some Jersey food. I'm also a big <laughs> fan of Pedialite, So uh, yes. I will definitely like, you'll see me on some Pedialite before some races, make sure, especially those, those hot races. If, um, if y'all are ever, um, want to look up a good race, check out Tulsa tough. It's definitely mm. the biggest race in the, in the nation right now. It's a big, it's, it's the biggest, like, it's like a love letter to cycling. It is amazing. Um, Go on, go on, uh, go online. Go to YouTube. Look up um, American Crit and American Crit Two. Uh, American Crit Two has a has a long portion on the Tulsa Tough, uh, Tulsa Tough race and the party and the history, but. Um, that's, that's, that's a doozy. But, um, I forgot why I was talking about that, but anyways, I'm always looking forward to, I'm, I'm always trying to sneak in a a Tulsa tough talk. (laughs) Are you racing
3: in Tulsa tough?
1: (laughs) I hope so. We have, um, last year, the team that I was on, we, we had like kind of a bare minimum of number of girls. We had like, I think four or five, we, there's Mia, Allison, Kara, me. Um, Taylor got sick, uh, Tyler got sick half through way. So she kind of belled out, but there's a handful of us. So they only allow six girls to enter this year. We have, um, we've, we've grown as a team, which is fantastic. Um, we're doing really great. Um, but we've brought on more girls and we have a, a director of sport this year. So, Um, this year there's going to be a selection to see who goes. I'm working really hard. So that way I am the, I'm one of the fitter ones to be able to make that selection. Um, so I would love to do Tulsa. Tulsa is my favorite race and I hope I'm selected, but there is no guarantee, but I'm working hard. You saw, I bring in my bike to, I'm bringing my bike. (laughs) I'm, I'm training on the road, you know, we're, we're going to get it done. So um, another good one to check out. I don't know. Did you ever did you watch a uh, world uh, cycle cross this um, a couple of weeks ago in Fayetteville, Arkansas?
3: I only got to see some highlights from it, but that looked incredible.
1: So to fill in your listeners, um, we we don't get a whole lot of big, you know, worldwide. It's like uh, worldwide cycling events in America just because we're just we're I mean, the, even the tour of California has been canceled. Like we're kind of dwindling in the cycling scene yeah. there. Um, but with that said, um, the cross scene, which is, uh, kind of what it sounds, it's like, it's like motocross, but with your bike. So it's like in the dirt, it's a more of a winter sport. Um, and you can also YouTube that it's, I highly recommend it. cross is good fun. Um, but we had, you know, the world cup, you know, the biggest, like the biggest level race, uh, in that discipline come to Fayetteville, Arkansas the past couple of weeks. And, um, it was amazing, but, um, there's a big race there. The, the Walt brothers who own Walt, uh, Walmart, they are putting they're They're big cycling fans and they've invested so much money into Northwest Arkansas to make it into like the most perfect cycling community. If you like gravel, got it. You like road racing, got it. You like mountain biking, got it. You got, they've got a world, you know, a world cup cycle cross course, you know? And, um, anyways, they've have the longest stage race the longest consecutive stage race in the nation, uh, called Joe Martin, the Joe Martin stage race. And it's also in Fayetteville. And, um, I've really, it's a UCI level race that I'm really hoping to make the selection for that too. Um, it is all Hills, which is definitely not my specialty. So I've got a lot of work to do, uh, as a sprinter. Um, and, uh, but that's definitely something that I would, while I'm still a pro cyclist, I would love to be part in that race and I will kill myself up those hills just <laughs> to be able to be, stay in the pack and be competitive. And like, you know, it's just, it's just rad. It's just, you know, what's really cool is being able to race against the girls that you've been looking up to, you know, and, and you can look up to girls that are younger than you, you know what I'm saying? Idols don't have to be older than you, but it's, um it's just a weird feeling. Be like, Oh my gosh, I made it like, Whoa, <laughs> now I've got to actually beat them, which is a whole different level, but we're getting there. <laughs> but yeah, Joe Martin, I checked that one out too.
3: Yeah. That's okay. funny. You mentioned that idols can be younger than you. There's, there's two guys that I ride with uh, Gabe and Jimmy who are younger than me by like seven and eight or nine years. And They are beasts on hills. They smoke me on hills. And it's one of those things where like, whenever I can kind of sort of keep up with them, I'm like, Mm
2: -hmm. yes, I'm doing (laughs) it. Let's go.
3: (laughs) And they're great too. Like they're they're so like chill and, and, uh, you know, easy to ride with, you know, like when we're going party pace. Um, that's a phrase too, that I picked up from another YouTube channel, uh, called Pathless pedaled. Um, mm,
1: I'm learning all kinds of new, okay. So they're like, right.
3: a they're a gravel bike, um, YouTube channel, but they, mm. they coined this, this term party pace where like, it's the pace where everybody's having a good time.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. So, like
3: your that's fastest and your slowest are all kind of like meeting in the middle. That's your party pace.
1: That's the, that's the vibe right there. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. I'm gonna to have to. I'm gonna to have to use that. If you use that line, thank you. I'm trying what? to tie it oh, into. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I'm gonna to have to remember. Would you? Would you say the name of that podcast was or uh, that YouTube channel?
3: Oh, path less pedaled. Um, and so all peddled. of these things I will um, add as show the... notes. Perfect. So whatever you're listening on, pull up the the notes, and there's there's gonna be a link below. Uh, But yeah, path less pedaled is great. They also do uh, reviews of products like bike accessory products um, and and kind of like comparisons of like tires and bikes. And because there's such a barrier to entry, Um, Chelsea, I'm sure you can speak to this more than than. Than any of us can is, is like the the expenses related to bikes, bike components, <sighs> and bike accessories. Yes. They add up so quickly, uh-huh. um, and so it's it's nice to have a place where you can kind of turn to like Global Cycling Network or Pathless Pedal. Um, I also follow uh, a guy from Portland called Dust. Uh, his name's Dustin Klein, um, and he's a big uh, gravel nerd. So he's always messing with like the gravel routes here around Portland. Uh, and he's, he's sponsored by, uh, the pros closet and competitive oh, wow. cyclists. And so like, they're always throwing new bikes at him. And so yeah, he yeah. has, he has a chance to kind of like show you, you know, the pros and cons of various different setups.
1: Yeah. That sounds, um, yes, the equipment can be expensive and daunting. Um, I would say, get your, get, 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 Be friends with your local mechanic, you know, he'll uh, obviously they want to they want to pitch, you know, their their shop and things to buy. But sometimes shops are going to be like, look, we don't carry that. But this might if you got a good mechanic, he'll be like, look, we're going to do what we can for you for this shop. But this might be the best setup for you. So um, definitely get to know your parts in that. I would say also, but kind of like in digression, there, speaking to um, about the gravel scene. I feel like if you're interested in cycling as, you know, I'm sure most of your listeners are archaeologists, archaeology fans, therefore we're probably really into dirt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I would say if you're really looking into, for those those archaeologists out there that um, still like to spend time outdoor to, outdoors after a long day of field or even like, you know, a long week in the field and just like to still do those hikes, uh, hikes you know, go go give gravel, gra- um, gravel you know, you know gravel a try um the bikes are normally a little bit cheaper or definitely a lot cheaper than road they're yeah. you know you don't need much you know you can even you throw on some knobby tires being you know knobby mean like grippy tires for it to like you know go through the dirt and stuff like that <clears throat> excuse me on a uh, on a road bike and you know just go have you a good time on some get, get lost on some back road somewhere um you're less likely to interact with cars and you're gonna get you know num- I like to do a lot of solo rides so I like to do a lot of my like my big meditating and my big thinking on these like long rides but you know grab yourself a party and go go pedal you know it's um so definitely for the archaeologist out there if you're looking to to get into bikes check out the gravel and the dirt thing I think that's a great place to start sorry I had a little digression there oh, that's great for, <laughs> for
0: me not being like a huge cyclist I'm, I'm soaking all of this in absolutely like, where can I
1: and it can, it's still daunting. There's um, there's a lot of new technologies these days. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Zwift. So I do a lot of my workouts on Zwift. You, you can, and Zwift is like, I'm not a big gamer. Actually, I'm not a gamer, guys. Let's be real. Um, but I, uh, <laughs> I'm not a gamer, but this is the closest thing that I think I understand to what like Xbox Live or like joining online games is like, because it just, bl- and it blows my mind, maybe because I'm so like, uh ignorant i guess about video games or something along those lines but um it's so cool because like like we have all these like mini computers on our bikes that read how many watts we can deliver through our pedals and what our heart rate is doing and how fast we're moving and then you get on these they have these devices i tend to use a roller system but essentially these trainers that you turn your outdoor bike into an indoor stationary bike and um you like bluetooth all of your 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 little bike computers into um the wide world i guess it's like the meta universe but for cycling right so like it's so crazy because my friends live in utah and we can meet up and go ride each other virtually and so i can see the, the power that she's able we're like we can match each other and get good workouts in together um so that's another way if you're like pretty intimidated um but you also have a bike, um, try a trainer and try to get, try Zwift. That might be something, um, that you can get a cardio workout in. And maybe you just don't I know a lot of people that just like Zwift. They don't even touch the road. They just, they really like the experience of, of that. And virtual racing is, is becoming a whole thing. Um, that's a thing. So, um, anyways, another thing, if you're looking to get in, try, try to look into Zwift. It's Z W I F T Zwift. They should sponsor me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I saw that Wahoo
3: just came out with a competitor platform to that called System. Oh,
1: you know, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that.
3: Uh one of my one of my friends that I ride with is using System and he says he likes it more than Zwift. Interesting. Um just I, I think because it's a little bit more compatible with the other Wahoo components. Okay. Um, so he's got like the kicker trainer mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. And so it seems like it's, it's really kind of taking advantage of the hardware. Got you.
1: Yeah. Those kicker trainers or something else. I haven't, ha- I haven't used them that often. Cause I just, now, when I say rollers, just to kind of give your your um, your listeners visuals at home, a rollers are basically you have three like uh, rolling pins, like if you're like you know making a pie or something along those lines, and they're kind of wedged between two I beams. So my back wheel has is kind of centered in between two of them, and then my front wheel. Is literally resting on them so you're you're having to keep your balance while you're indoors i will tell you i crash more times in my living room than i do out in the road but that's just that um like it you can uh (laughs) like it's definitely a thing but the trainers (laughs) what chris was talking about you you're basically like a true stationary right like there's no fear of you falling off like your bike is locked in and you can just hammer down on the on the power um I forgot what I was getting into that about, but yeah, there's different ways of like training on home and doing those systems. With that said, back to the virtual racing, there's also like uh, the project echelon or echelon racing or something along those lines. And they're doing the whole UCI level um, UCI beating the, what does UCI stand for again? My goodness. I'm a horrible pro cyclist. Um, You, you know what? I'll look that up later. What is it? I'll look it up and
3: put a a link in the show notes because I don't know either. I just know that like everybody groans and rolls their eyes whenever UCI gets involved.
1: Absolutely. It's a thing. They've got a lot of rules and um, yeah, it's a whole thing. Um, They're the governing, essentially they're the governing body, the international governing body for cyclists and pro levels and all that kind of stuff. Um, That's a good, so they set all the
3: standards for like what kind of bike you can ride in various certain types of, competitive events and stuff and, like and that. how
1: much uh how much pro teams can pay salaries like i think um this is the first <laughs> year that there's been a set salary for women which is really rad because like men have always like there's a bare minimum that you know that pro cyclists can make at least on the like the, the pro, pro pro level i would i want to be a uh, clear discretion here that uh, i'm on the domestic pro level so i'm more of a um I'm, I'm, I would love to work my way up to be able to race the the female Tour de France, but we're working now. We're on baby steps there. So I'm like, I'm like a baby pro, but we're getting there, right? Um, but like the big pros, like you know, we're talking about Chris Froome, all those guys, um, they have like a bare minimum and there's no real maximum. Um, but women have not had any standard for the last, like forever. Like I think it either, I think it started this year um, or last year, somewhere one of these years where there's just now this um, like, you ha- like if you're going to be a pro cyclist and you sign a contract, this is the level that you get paid at. Um, a lot of pro cyclists that were, la- were racing at the highest level um, didn't, didn't, you know, it was basically just still their, their side hustle, you know, um, which is a shame. But I'm glad to see that there's a lot of change coming and we're seeing a lot more uh, equality pay for women, um, which is cycling's kind of really behind in that. Um, I feel like, you know, tying back into archaeology, um, span has kind of been in this movement where there's a lot of women in it and like, where there's a lot of equality and there's, it's been, um, it's been great, you know, and I'm, I'm glad to see cycling kind of catching up.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: That's an interesting point about the, the, the parallels between the cycling industry and the, the archeology, span like CRM archeology span industry, where, you know, like, like the term in, in cycling and, kind of climbing in other outdoor sports is, is like a dirt bag, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you've got people who are living out of their, their truck or whatever. And, you know, they're just going to every event that they need to go to and mm-hmm. just like really living minimally. And then in archeology, span you have Same you know, very similar situations. Um uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I slept more in my truck than I probably did in a bed this year, <laughs> like between traveling the races and traveling to field work, like, um, I eventually want to turn my truck into a little Spurner van thing, but um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's very similar. So I guess that ties into one of your very first questions was, you know, what are those similarities and what are those mm-hmm. differences? And <clears throat> I think you nailed it on the head there, like being able to like, uh, uh, so there was a there's a former pro cyclist called Phil Gaiman. Um, he's a really good guy. He's, um, very into anti-doping and he's got a couple of different books out. And there's one of, one of his books is, um, pro cycling on $10 a day, which is, it's pretty much his, I guess, memoir in a sense of like how he got through collegiate cycling into being the pro athlete into, and how he afforded that, um, and pretty much living out of his car and going to races. And I think he has a quote in there, something like, It's pretty crazy how you kind of learn how to be a minimalist, right? Like, it's like, yes, at home, we have all the things that we surround ourselves with. But at the end of the day, I can get by with everything that I just fit in my truck. You know, I can live off of a couple of boxes that I can pack in my truck and be completely content. So it's it's beautiful and humbling. And I think that that's something that can speak for both a traveling cyclist as well as a traveling archaeologist. Yeah. Life on the road, living life Life on the road is hard. (laughs) It's, it's brutal. It's brutal for relationships. It's brutal. Um, it's brutal, but, and it takes a, but it's also beautiful. Um, and you just got to find that yin and yang balance. And you've, even like when you go to like the shithole of places, you've got to find, you got to find the beauty there, you know, otherwise it just makes, um, no matter what you're, it doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're sitting in an office space, but you got to find the positives to make, you know, to make it to make it through life.
2: <laughs> yeah, you
1: know that's a really
3: good point about like the beauty of of life on a bike is, um, you know, like uh, everybody here on this podcast has has ridden bikes, you know, it, for various reasons or various times, and it's one of the things about like moving through a place on a bicycle is mm-hmm. the pace and the scale of your movement through that place, I think gives you a better connection to that space. So like, absolutely to be a little bit clearer with that is, is, you know, like I started commuting by bike when I was in grad school in Louisville, Kentucky. And, um, at that time, like my time up until I started grad school, I was working in CRM. I was on the road most of the time. And I think most days I thought about moving away. I was like, all I all I do is work, go on the road, go home, eat and sleep, go on the road, work. And then once I started grad school and I was commuting my bike, I was like seeing all of these things in the community around me that uh-huh. um, really gave me a better sense of connection to the community around me. And it made me appreciate where I lived a lot better. Yes. And then you know, like this recent project I was on where I took my gravel bike with me and, you know, just commuting to the project site and even like, you know, tooling around in the the town after work, just chasing miles and chasing feet of elevation. um, It made me really appreciate these areas a lot Uh more, you know, rather than just driving through them on whatever the path of least resistance was. I was just kind of like, hey, what's this little place over here? This thing looks neat. I'm going to go look at it
1: look at this mural you know like and i totally i second that absolutely like in like urban areas it's like you really get a chance to see the culture you're slowing you're moving fast enough to like still be engaged and like oh what's that oh what's that but you're moving so you're moving slow enough that you're like oh that's what that is you know what i'm saying and like oh you know i am going to go check this out and you know you get to hear you know the little conversations as you're passing people and yeah. and you know like you know, just really like get in touch with the culture and the vibe of the city or the town or whatever. Now, when you're out in the country, like one of the things that I like to, or that just kind of like pops into my head is like, you know, even though we're probably moving at a faster pace than like walking or something of that nature, but like thinking about how the indigenous groups were, you know, be able to pass over these, the same kind of um, terrain and, and all that kind of, and, and, in you know, and how they are interacting with the environment and, And, and then like, there's those moments where you're riding down and you're, you know, you're just riding along and then, you know, a bird just kind of like parallels with you. And it's just like, you're right at like eye level with the bird and y'all are soaring together. And just like those little moments when you click and you're just like vibing in that moment and being present and just, yeah, just, you're just in tuned with with nature and the past and the future. And it's just like this weird sweet spot that you get, you know, um, I was listening. I'm a big fan of um, my friend, well, I'm a big fan of my friend, Tyler. I hope I'm a fan of him. Like you should be a fan of your friends, right? Um, <laughs> uh, but my friend, Tyler, he's, he's pretty big on social media. He's got a huge YouTube following. He's um, AKA the Vegan Cyclist. Um, he has uh, these, he's been starting this documentary project um, called The Impossible Roots. And I think his latest episode, he was talking about, um, he bonked hard, man. Like he was, he was going out with like a pro mountain biker and then a pro road cyclist. And he's like, was representing the average Joe. And he, 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 uh, he bonked hard, but he had this, like in this moment, he had this clarification. It's like, when you max your body out to its mental and physical, and then it, you still have to keep going. Like you're just silent, you know, everything's silent and you're just pushing yourself. And it's like, man, like, Monks search their whole lives for that kind of, you know, serendipitous moment. And it's like, those are the kind of things that like bikes, you just can't really describe. They're just, they're just a vibe. And it just, it helps you just appreciate, like I said, appreciate the the past, future, present and just the environment that you're in. So it's, um, there's some really cool moments when you're really deep in pain. (laughs) Instant
3: mindfulness.
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But Yeah.
3: I started, uh, seeing a therapist during, uh, nice. the pandemic. Go like, ahead. Good for you in 2020. And I, I've, I've struggled with like anxiety and, mm. and, um, you know, depression in the, in the past. And, uh, it was one of those things as I, as I was describing like the things that helped me mm-hmm. deal with, you know, anxiety and stress. Um, you know, I was, I was like, you know, the thing that helps me the most is riding my bike and the, you know, when I was describing like, what helps me about riding my bike, the therapist goes, oh, you're just practicing mindfulness. Absolutely. And I was like, what? And I was describing, you know, like what I, what I really dig is like, I, I think really hard about my cadence and the hum of my tires kind of like mm-hmm. zones me out. Yes. And so and just
1: like breathing, you know, those three seconds in exactly three seconds out. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. The hum of the tires.
3: It's like there's your therapy right there. Yes. Yeah. You've I mean, and granted, it.
1: the granite, you know, there is something to be said about, you know, you know, talking about our past traumas. And mm-hmm. honestly, the bike can't work that out for us, you know. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, we can all do as much self-analysis on ourselves as possible, but you know, you know, shout out to the therapists out there. Y'all are definitely needed and um, we should all look for our, our heal. We all have past traumas and we should all be looking for ways to heal those. So that way we can be better humans for our fellow humans. Um, but yeah, man, the bike is a hell of a way to kind of explore those deep, those deep wounds or those deep happinesses within you because um, yeah, suffering, suffering is actually a great way to get happy. Uh, it sounds <laughs> counterproductive, but it's it's a good way of doing it.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, wow. yeah. And the the people I've been riding bikes with, I feel like I have formed kind of the deepest bonds with yeah. as well. Yeah, because yeah. we suffer together.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like one of those like those <laughs> atrocious fieldwork projects where everything goes wrong, but y'all become the <laughs> best of friends. You know, it's just yeah. like, oh man, we've been through hell, but we got through it together. <laughs> we survived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, t- I can totally relate to that. That's definitely another parallel between archaeology and 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 cycling for sure.
3: Yeah. So Chelsea, I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, yeah. One. We glossed over this in the beginning. You're a grad student as well. Mm-hmm. What's your thesis research on?
1: Oh, that's a fantastic question. I'm actually doing. Uh, it's I'm actually doing like a zoo archaeological study on um, the Presidio San Sabá. Um, so I'm kind of looking at how to I uh, how were the uh, so it's historically they're known for um, the officers for taking kind of the bigger cut um, out of the, maybe this their soldiers uh, stipend and stuff like that. So we're looking at, uh, social economic differences and see if we can identify that through a culinary and zooarchaeological lens. Um, I also want to look at, um, since they were a lot of the supply chain, like a lot of the times the, the soldiers were pretty in bad shape. Their supplies were not being met, um, as far as like their salary and all of that regard. So they were forced to kind of fend for themselves and seek, um, Uh, Non military supplies resources to feed themselves and their family. So I'm trying to look at like kind of where that balance is, you know, and where there's certain, we know where the soldiers were kind of placed and where they were living. Can we identify like, which groups were having to seek more natural resources versus um, the resources that were being imported, and um, looking at those kind of lines. So I guess keywords would be, you know, Spanish colonial, um, Presidio, um, zoo archaeology, um, social economics and, um, culinary studies, a little bit environmental. So it's going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. I'll definitely give you a copy once I'm done. (laughs) That's
3: fascinating. Yes. And please come
1: back on the podcast
3: and talk about that at any time you want.
1: I shall, I shall, I'll give, I'll, I'll give a whole spiel on it. Once I can uh, word myself a little bit better. (laughs) (laughs) You did great. Thank Um, you. (laughs) She gets bonus points again, yes. <laughs> yes. I like
2: the throw out of keywords. I'm like, that's a good
1: yeah. trick, man. <laughs> yeah, it I never help. thought about oh, that yeah. before. Thanks guys, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I would love to come back. This has been a joy to talk with you guys and I'm always, uh, always need an excuse to, to talk about archaeology and bikes. <laughs> nice.
3: <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, once you get the cycling archaeologist uh kind of like video and and podcasting going. Oh yeah. We're going to uh, do that
1: together. I'm not I'm not even joking. We will collab on that.
3: <laughs> you have my full support.
1: That yes. <laughs> that sounds like such a fun project. Yeah, um, uh, we'll definitely put some effort into that.
3: Yeah. So my last question is, um, tell me about your bikes. I I know you've got the the one that came on the road with you. What's Mm -hmm. that one? And then how many bikes do you have?
1: All right. So that's the good question, right? I mean, I, the, the real answer is not enough. I don't have enough bikes. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've got a gravel bike. Um, it unfortunately is a little too big for me. So I'm probably going to, uh, let that baby go at some point in time. But, um, I do have a gravel bike that kind of serves as my cycle cross bike. It's a Cannondale Cadex, Um, so it's good. It's a good bike, just a little too tall for me. Um, I do want to do a full UCI season. So I eventually want to get like the whole, like two, two different cyclocross bikes, but I don't have those in my possession yet. I have a mountain bike, which is a Fuji, which is a hardtail. Um, It's a big, I got, I bought that one for like $400. Um, It's a clunker. Um, I'm just now getting into mountain biking. I actually, side note, I grew up in the skate park. So I was all, I almost went to like junior X games for like blading, like inline skating and stuff. Oh my God. A little side note. Um, That's awesome. (laughs) Thanks. It was was so, I just love doing like the jumps. Like I, my dad built jumps for me as a kid. And like, I remember a lot of us would like, see how many people we can jump. And I remember poor Donnie, he accidentally landed on his uh, private parts one time. Not a good, <laughs> not a good, it wasn't a good landing, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I'm getting back into mountain biking and that's been a blast, but that bike's kind of a clunker, but it's, it's a good learning bike. Um, and then I've got three different road bikes. I've got my current one, which is a specialized Elise um, LA and i um, it's, I've got some hunt wheels on that. I actually won that bike for, before I was on my pro team, Automatic office. Um, I competed. It was right when COVID started. There's this pro team that my friend Monica's on called LA Sweat. And they did a sweat inside with LA Sweat um, sweepstakes. Like you pretty much just whiffed with them, posted a picture. And that's how I won that bike. They were really gracious. They're trying to like um, give, you know, help people get out and get, you know, get the community. And, um, that is yeah. cool. It is very yeah. cool. I'm very great, great, you know, grateful for Kelly with LA Sweat, you know, just because we're competitive teams doesn't mean that we can't have all equal love and respect and sh- that that team does a lot of great things for the cycling community. So hit up LA Sweat. Um and then I've got my first road bike that I really want to renovate re- uh well, rebuild a little bit and uh, updated. It's a 2013 uh specialized dolce. They don't even make dolces anymore. Um, but that's that's still a good bike. That's kind of more my computer commuter bike now. And then I have my bike that I just retired, which was um a giant live. And that thing was a beauty. I rode that thing down to the ground, but I've had it's a carbon fiber bike. I've kind of had it to after a couple of years carbon gets a little little weekend it ages and it's it was time to retire but with that said i'm hope our new team is has a new bike sponsor i'm no i'm not quite sure if i can announce what our bike sponsor is yet um but they're going to give us they're probably going to be um they're joining us online for this year but they're probably going to be a continuing sponsor into next year and provide more bikes for us but uh hopefully you will see me on a different bike in the upcoming weeks
2: That would be great.
1: Yes. So I will update you uh, once we are ready to announce who our team is uh, collaborating with this year on bikes.
3: Very, very cool. How many bikes do you have? I just have two. So I
1: I have n plus one, N plus one. N (laughs) plus one. That's the ideal number
3: of bikes. Absolutely. It's one more than the number you currently own. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Oh, man. And I feel it every day. Oh, like it's it's real. Oh yeah. Uh, oh I yeah.
1: know. I mean I want a fixie bike. I want to like I said I want those two cycle cross bikes. I want to get a track bike. Like after watching Maggie Colester just smash it in Europe, like I'm like oh yeah I want to get into track cycling now. <laughs> Like, I just want to do all the disciplines. Like, I just love bikes. Like, it's just.
3: (laughs) They're so cool.
1: Who would have known at 35, I would still be in school riding bikes. Like what? (laughs) Yeah. You never grow up, man. You never grow up and nor should you. (laughs) No. And that's, that's the cool thing
3: about bikes too. And riding with your friends is like, there are times when I'm out riding with my friends and it feels like being a little kid goofing off on bikes again
1: biker gang like it's just, yeah. fun, it's just the it's the stuff man it's we call this...
3: ourselves gravel gang and yes. it's just like it's just a bunch of friends goofing off yeah you know, on our bikes you know, all day popping long wheelies
1: just you know having a good old <laughs> time yeah. like
3: encouraging each other to do yes. dumb stuff
1: <laughs> it's the best
3: yeah. yes yeah i've got two bikes i've got a trek 720 that i bought initially as my car replacement so i Ooh. moved to portland in 20 uh 15, Uh 16, somewhere on the the verge of 2015, 2016. And, um, I didn't have a car. And so I was living the car free life back in Louisville, Kentucky and moved to Portland. And I was like, well, you know, I was, I was borrowing a, a friend's bike back in Kentucky. It was a, um, single speed, like 1980 Fuji steel frame beast, uh, and it's a very hilly city so i was like i made it work there i can make it yeah. work here there's much better bike lanes here mm-hmm. so uh i bought the trek 720 thinking that i would eventually get into like road touring and stuff like that um it's a solid frame it's it's like it's an aluminum frame bike with a ton of brazons. so you can you ons are like the little uh, holes that you can screw stuff into mm-hmm. um for anybody not familiar and so I put like (laughs) a lot of cargo racks on it. And so I've got like cargo rack on the front fork. I've got cargo rack on the back. Um, And so like I can carry a week's worth of groceries on this thing or I could go bike packing or I could take all of the racks off. And it's a perfectly serviceable road bike, which is what I normally use it for is just kind of like, it's my, I, I consider it to be my like fast commuter. So like it's what I drive around town. I think mm-hmm. 90% of my life is on that bike. And yeah. I think that's
1: that multi-tool bike. Everybody's got to have a multi-tool bike. You know, it's your yeah. Swiss army knife. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So that's it's my, your
1: Marshalltown trowel. Exactly.
3: <laughs> yes. That's my Marshalltown bike. Yes. And then, uh, in April of last year, I got into gravel cycling and yes. Um, I got a Fairdale Weekender Nomad, and it's also it's a it's an all steel bike, steel steel fork, steel frame. It is heavy, um, but like you had mentioned earlier on about how during the pandemic people were really getting into cycling, and it put a strain on the global supply chain. And so mm-hmm. what I was encountering was the bikes that I had been shopping for, that I had done a lot of research on. Were just not available, and if they were available, they were not available in my size. And so I had to kind of like really get creative and look around. And one of my friends had happened to uh, have a Fairdale Weekender Nomad that he had ridden across the width of Australia. He did like an wow. ultra across Australia. yeah And so as I was talking to him about like advice for getting into a gravel bike. <laughs> I was like, Hey, I know you've done some wild stuff on a bike. Like, tell me about your bike. And he goes, Fairdale weekend or no, man, like you can't beat the price. It's, it's like, it's a real bargain for what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's funny, like riding with friends who have carbon bikes, like carbon wheels, carbon frame, carbon fork, um, like they're more expensive for one, but but too like they're so fast uh-huh. uh and the thing is is like having an all steel bike like at some point you just don't know the difference. So Mm-mm. like, if that's I mean, what steel you is real,
1: on... yeah, exactly. <laughs> the steel is real. So
3: it's like, at some point, like that's what you ride on all the time. That's just what it feels like to go oh, up yeah. big hills. That's what it feels like to go around muddy corners, stuff like well, that.
1: And on top of that, they last a lot longer. Like I just mentioned my car, my carbon, you know, they kind of tap out three to six years. So yeah, I mean, still lasts forever. I mean, you can't go wrong with a steel bike. So yeah, I'm a big fan of steel. I just don't own one. I have, I've got quite a few aluminum bikes. So, like my elises but yeah nice I'm, I'm, a, I'm okay with the metal bikes you know people do have their differences there but um i'm not a carbon snob yeah
2: I, i've always wanted a an actual like aluminum road bike
1: yes well <laughs> these specialized elises are pretty good um um i i will see you about this new bike sponsor and well maybe we can uh we can figure out a way to we'll we'll hook you up with a bike sponsor with one of our new bike sponsors or something like that. We'll we'll get you going. Um, <laughs> the cycling archaeologist. Bike team. Yes. The, well, yeah. you know, I was just I was just thinking about this before we wrap up. I was like, let me know which gravel races you go to or if you come to visits, and maybe we can get like a little like coffee shop you know ride or something along those lines. Um, you know, but I think between both of us, we've kind of have a drawing for, like archaeologists tend to be outdoorsy i mean yeah. that's a given and i think that a lot of us like to be active and i feel like a lot of I, I i'm not the only cycling archaeologist out there chris chris speaks to that and there's a lot of us out there and i think it'd be really cool speak to that yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> that's you know touche there sorry um but i would say that would be really cool to do like uh i don't know like a, a grand fondo or even just like a like have, randomly just bring all cycling archaeologists together for. You, you know, some place in the country and just do like a little conference or maybe at the SAAs or something like that, you know, oh my maybe we God. can plan something okay. like that. It could be a little second. Yes. SAAs if-
3: are coming to Portland in Portland. what, next year?
1: Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. And I can defend, like, I'm not going to be ready for this time, but maybe I can get like, I'll, I'll be graduated and stuff like that. So I can defend my, the- or not defend it. I can like. Do a little poster do a little like you know um presentation yeah. we can do like a cycling archaeology group ride and maybe yeah yeah we could do this could be a thing guys bring your gravel it. bike yes. we'll
3: go up into forest park we'll ride yes. leaf erickson oh, to saltzman
1: yeah. yes. i'm all about it that sounds like a plan that's gonna work i'm putting it in the books now
2: <laughs> yes i gotta go put navvies on my uh, mountain bike
1: yes, <laughs> yes. yes.
2: Stupid mountain bike. It's actually too big for
1: me. I need to get a different one. Yeah, I feel that. I
2: feel
1: that. Yeah. Yeah, we should do that. I would love to meet you guys in person. And uh, yeah, it would be even better on a bike. I'm super fan of that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, (laughs) I
1: I think that's a good idea.
3: At some point during the pandemic, um, Tia and I rode our bikes to, where was that that we went to? Lone First Cemetery? Uh, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that was and close walked. enough that you walked there, Katie, um, and I, I think you were like very, very, very pregnant with Joel at that point, Kirsten.
1: <laughs> uh, I was not going anywhere. <laughs> right, like, I'm right here. I ain't moving.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, but that was that was funny just to have like. You know like we're like where's a quiet place in the city that we can all kind of converge and we're like mm-hmm. an old cemetery let's go there let's do it
1: that yeah. seems fitting we're all so i mean regardless if you specialize in zoo archaeology or osteology we're all a bunch of bone nerds you know we we still like <laughs> our bones like archaeologists <laughs> we're a bunch of weirdos we love it um, Yes. no i think that would be really cool to get a cycling archaeology group ride at like a conference or something like that And maybe we can get with uh um, you know, a kit sponsor and make like specialized kits or something or jerseys or something for it. I think that would be and we can put, you know, the go dig a cold podcast right on the back pocket. That would be dope. That's the money. (laughs) That's that's it. Yes. Well, look at us. Like look at us brainstorming. in the
3: back pocket, like you got to pull the pocket <laughs> yeah. down to see it. Like a, yeah. Like
1: a little, yeah, like a little pull. Yeah, pull it. That would be great. That would be great. Have the have the Marshalltown sticking out. Yes. <laughs> there yes. we go. Yes. That's yes. the move. I love it. See yeah. marketing one on one. I love it. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's a plan. We'll we'll definitely now we've got some things to talk about. The new uh, the new series that we'll eventually do, and um, this group ride that we're going to do at a conference—that'd be great.
3: Yes, awesome, yeah. Chelsea. Thank you so much for joining the Go Dig a Hole podcast. Uh, good luck in the field this week. Thank you. Safe travels. It's, have it's fun. It's been a pleasure. Training.
1: It's been a pleasure. I'm going to get a video really fast or a photo. Oh. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. It's been a blast. And oh man, I can't even believe we talked this long. But I had a, I just had a good time, y'all. Uh, st- very stimulating conversations. And, um, thank you listeners for tuning in and, uh, please feel free to find me on social media, ask me any questions and, uh, I'm very active on there. So, and I'm not scared. I mean, feel free to reach out to me. I will definitely respond and, uh, I'll love to help you guys, uh, join our cycling community.
3: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, And so Chelsea is cycling underscore archaeologist on Instagram. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys.